Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of 2 Thessalonians. We are currently in chapter 1 and verse 1. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony, and I'm glad you joined me today. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 1 in the book of 2 Thessalonians, where Paul begins this letter this way. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. So then, Paul begins this letter with uh, the normal ways in which uh, letters were written in many regards with the salutation of where it is from, or at least who it is from, uh, and that is uh, Paul, of course, and uh, Silvanus and Timothy. And so uh, he introduces himself not as an apostle, which is uh, very interesting. He doesn't use the title apostle in his uh in his address to this, uh, this congregation, either in the first uh, Thessalonians or in second Thessalonians. Also, there's one other book in which he does not use the title apostle, and that's Philippians chapter one and verse one. He merely uses his name uh, as he does here. It seems as though that Paul does not throw around his titles to impress people, especially when he is comfortable with, uh, with certain congregations and certain people and uh, this is the case here. Uh, he doesn't need to throw around his his uh, his apostleship, so to speak, uh, because he has this uh, relationship with this particular church, and now he's writing them the second time because evidently they need some encouragement uh, and some follow-up to the first epistle. And um, by the way, uh, we use the term epistle, but sometimes perhaps uh, part of my audience uh, may not be familiar with the term, uh, and some people People think uh, that uh, epistle is the wife of an apostle, and uh, that's not true at all. It's just a a, a, a word that we use to to refer to the letters that Paul has written, and it's a more formal sort of way of expressing that. And so Paul is now the same person that we've uh, known in the uh, rest of the New Testament, except for the fact that uh, he's formally known as Saul of Tarsus. Uh, He's the ex-Pharisee who has come to faith in Christ. Uh, He he started using the, the name Paul, which means little or small, by the way. Uh, his, his old name, his Jewish name, or, or that is his Hebrew name, uh, Saul meant uh, to ask or to pray. And so it was a very religious name. And yet at the same time, it identified with the, uh, the first king, which happened to be from the same tribe uh, from which Paul was born, and that is the tribe of Benjamin. And so uh, uh, 
Saul of Tarsus evidently took that name as his uh, as his. Uh, uh, very prideful parents uh, named him that, uh, maybe because of that reason, that connection, uh, that he, they uh, may have invested in him as someone uh, to be very powerful or very authoritative, and they wanted his name to be Saul, the name of that original king of Israel. And and yet... Uh, and yet uh, we find that Paul's testimony is uh, found in uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 14. But the story of his testimony, or that is the, the way he encountered first off uh, uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, risen from the dead on his uh, way to Damascus in order to persecute Christians, by the way. But uh, that is recorded in Acts chapter 9, where he encountered Christ the first time, and uh, that's where he calls him Lord, and that's uh, where he confesses his sin, and where he uh, evidently has made uh, saving faith in the Lord Jesus at that moment. And uh, we know that he was baptized later. We know that he went uh, back to Tarsus for a period of time, uh, maybe close to three or four or five years, in which he resided in Tarsus and continued his ministry there and his testimony for Christ and his preaching of the gospel. But uh, it wasn't until much later, of course, in which Barnabas came from Antioch to retrieve Paul and uh, to bring him along there in the church at Antioch. And later they went on a uh, mission tour together. And then on the second mission tour that Paul took, um, he brought along Silas because him and Barnabas had had a disagreement Agreement, and they split uh, split teams, and uh, Barnabas took John Mark, and and uh, Paul took Silas, and that's that's the name uh, Silvanus in a shortened form, sort of the same way in which we we refer to perhaps uh, someone named William as being Bill, or someone named Thomas uh, as being Tom, and. Uh, someone named Robert as being Bob. And uh, we're very comfortable with some of those nicknames, you might say, uh, as shortened forms. Uh, and sometimes they're not even shortened forms. They're some ways they're, they're whole new kind of uh, shortened names that uh, doesn't even reflect the right syllables in some ways or the, uh, the, the same uh, parallel pronunciation. But uh, that's what happens with uh, Sylvanus. He, he gets a shortened form form uh, with the name Silas. And that's uh, what we find here is the long form. And uh, that is the name uh, Sylvanus. Uh, he is not the uh, creator of a light bulb company. He is this, uh, uh, this person who came along, um, who uh, came to Antioch, by the way, with another fellow by the name of uh, uh, Judas Barsabas. In Acts chapter 15, verse 32, the apostles in Jerusalem, Jerusalem and the uh, church and the elders in Jerusalem sent these two people to Antioch to kind of check out what uh, Paul and Barnabas were doing in the church at Antioch. And uh, uh, so Judas uh, called Barsabas and uh, Silas, which is otherwise known as Silvanus here, uh, they were both called prophets, by the way, uh, as any sort of a kind of a title that they might have uh, taken on or some sort of role in the churches that evidently was their gift from the Holy Spirit to be prophets. So uh, Silas was made a very natural part 
partner, you might say, for the Apostle Paul when he chose this new team. And uh, uh, there was a sharp disagreement between uh, Paul and Barnabas, and they split teams, and Barnabas took John Mark, as I said before, but that was uh, in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 39. And so uh, Silas was there with Paul in um, in the uh, Philippi prison. And uh, in fact, they sang the Philippi prison blues, perhaps, uh, although it <laughs> likely wasn't blues because it, uh, it was singing hymns of praise to God. And uh, it, may, it might have been in the minor key, I don't know. But uh, that's recorded in Acts chapter 16. But Silas sang duet with the Apostle Paul in this jail cell. And uh, so they have been through a lot together, and uh, they are still a part of this team uh, together, and uh, Timothy is also included here, uh, as well as uh, in First Thessalonians. Also, it says that uh, that in Second. Uh, Corinthians chapter 1 verse 19 he and Timothy are together identified as having been as having preached uh, Christ Jesus in Corinth together so that is also another identification of this guy Silas or here called Silvanus so we find Timothy is a prominent character of course there are two names uh, two uh, that is two letters of Paul uh, with uh, that carry his his name upon them, and uh, that's First and Second Timothy. But the name Timothy means one who honors God, and he, of course, was originally from uh, Lystra. And Paul and Barnabas visited there first in Acts chapter fourteen, but later in Acts chapter sixteen, uh, Timothy is uh, singled out by Paul to join him and Silas, and that's verses one through three. We find out that he is the uh, son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his uh, father was Greek. We don't know about his uh, father's spiritual life, uh, except for the fact that uh, by the time that Paul acknowledges Timothy and uh, and gives him some uh, sort of responsibility with him, it seems as though that uh, Timothy's father is not in the picture. In fact, uh, Paul has said that uh, that uh, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice uh, were the ones that raised him in the scriptures, according to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He was trained in the scriptures as a child, and it says so in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. So this young man grew up uh, understanding the scriptures, and were taught. he was taught the scriptures by uh, this single-parent family, so to speak, along with his grandmother, and they uh, learned the scriptures together, and they they trained this young man in in knowing the word of God. And so by the time he was this young adult, he was uh, well spoken of by the brethren uh, in in that area, in Lystra and Iconium, and uh, on other occasions he was spoken of in Acts chapter, not just Acts chapter 16, but also Acts chapter 19 and Acts chapter 20. He he was one of the believers who, uh, because of his Jewish blood, Paul had him circumcised so that he would not be a stumbling block to the Jewish people that Paul was going to encounter. And yet because of a 
uh, of uh, Timothy's mixed blood uh, background, his ethnic uh, mixed family, uh, then uh, he was also adaptable to uh, the Gentile culture as well uh, when Paul would go into Gentile territories and Gentile churches. So Timothy made a perfect match in many regards to Paul's ministry and Paul's calling because Timothy had adapted even as a young age to this idea that he could live equally well among the Jewish uh, uh, people as well as among the Gentiles, and he could adapt either way. I sort of picture Timothy as uh, playing on the playground as a young man or a young boy, and uh, maybe he got uh, shunned by the Jewish people because uh, they knew that he was uh, part Gentile, and maybe the Gentiles didn't quite like him so much because of their own anti-Semitism, and uh, maybe he he knew something about both cultures. Uh, at the same time, he understood what what it was like to be uh, oppressed or at least uh, made fun of or mocked or, or shunned by these two different cultures that uh, he was a part of. And so Timothy knew that part of Paul's ministry quite well. So uh, the very young man as a boy who may have been uh, ridiculed as a boy made a perfect match for Paul the Apostle, who uh, made his ministry among the synagogues of the Jews and the Gentile churches that he planted in various Gentile locations. But I want you to notice, as we go to this break, that Paul always had someone with him, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, and Paul and Timothy. Well, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the second half of this episode, and we are still in chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of uh, 2 Thessalonians. And now Paul gets to the address, and that is he, he addresses to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what's fascinating is he uses, of course, the, the term uh, the, that seems to apply uh, most of the time to the gatherings of Christians, to uh, the assemblings of Christians, you might call them. Uh, the congregations uh, would be another word. But uh, Paul seems to use uh, uh, use this term quite a bit, and it becomes a part of the, the New Testament fabric, so to speak. It is a Greek term, and we would recognize it as ekklesia. And um, it is a combination of two separate uh, 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 ideas. And the first one is kaleo, which is the term called in the Greek language, and ek 
is the uh, Greek uh, syllable for out of. They are called out of or called into something else because they're called out of the public into this gathering. And that's the term. Uh, Actually, uh, in its original setting, uh, before Paul coined it uh, and began using it almost universally in uh, all of his epistles and uh, letters and teachings and instructions, uh, this uh, term ecclesia was actually just a civic word. It wasn't a a religious term at all in the Greek language and in its usage. Uh, In fact, in Acts chapter 19, verse 32, it's used in reference to the assembly at at Ephesus, which was a a civic assembly. It was a city assembly. And, And they were having a riot there, but it was still an assembly there. And uh, that's it's the same Greek word. And so it didn't have a, um, a religious word term or a religious uh, implication to it uh, until uh, after its usage and after, after its usage by Paul in reference to the assembling of believers in various cities and uh, various places. So it seems as though that uh, it fit quite well and it has continued to be used, but it's always good to understand that it doesn't refer to a building at all. It refers to the assembly of believers. And in this case, it's very interesting. It does not give an address in the normal sense of the term because he says the church of the Thessalonians. He doesn't say the church at Thessalonica, which would have been the name of the city in which uh, Paul would have addressed uh, that congregation as being a part of that city. Instead, he wants he wants a personal touch with this congregation. He wants them to know as Thessalonians, they are a part of this gathering. And uh, so he uses sort of like this, uh, this uh, uh, prepositional phrase that give, gives uh, ownership to the gathering, and, and that this gathering is owned by the Thessalonians rather than just being a location to be put on a plaque outside of a doorway. Uh, uh, this is the Thessalonians at, uh, uh, in their church. And um, what is interesting is that there are other Thessalonians that are known by name and by uh, this location, you might say. Uh, Gaius is one fellow, uh, Acts chapter 19, verse 29. He is a Thessalonian. Uh, Aristarchus is another fellow, Acts chapter 19, verse 29 again. And also Secundus, Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And possibly even the fellow by the name of Demas, uh, named in Second uh, Timothy chapter four, verse ten. So we find that the problems in the uh, Thessalonian church are uh, uh, different now, and uh, Paul wants to address some of the things that that uh, are actually increasing. It, it seems though, as though that the uh, persecution has worsened and not lessened at all. Uh, it seems uh, that there is quite a bit of confusion about something called the, the day of the Lord and when it's going to appear or if it already has appeared. And there was some confusion about that. Also, there was some counterfeit letters that were being produced 
introduced and passed around as if they were from Paul, and that needed to be uh, addressed, as well as uh, uh, some in the Thessalonian church, because of some of this confusion, uh, they weren't working. They weren't finding, finding jobs and supporting their families as, the, as they should. And so those are some of the things that Paul is beginning to encounter. So con- to continue on then, it says that they are the church at Thessalonica, uh, they were planted during the second uh, tour, and that would have been the Breaking into Europe tour. The, the first tour, uh, I've titled Out of the Starting Blocks tour, and that was Acts chapter 13 and 14. In Acts chapter 15 through 18 is the Breaking into Europe tour, and then there is the review that comes about in uh, Acts chapter 18 through 21. That's called the Revisited tour. You might even even call it the farewell tour, although they did, did not know that at the time. But uh, so this church, this gathering of believers here were, uh, were planted as a result of that second tour, that second uh, mission journey. And notice that he says, grace to you and peace. But before he gets to that, he says, this church is located in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and there, this is the second uh, uh, prepositional phrase here. The first one is, this is the church that belongs to the Thessalonians, but it is located, here's the locative preposition, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice there's one preposition in, and there is then included the and uh, between those two names. That means that Paul, the the former Pharisee, has now included God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in the same prepositional phrase. And that may not seem so awkward to us uh, because we're accustomed to to hearing these things. But uh, to a Jewish person, especially an ex-Pharisee, writing these two names together with an and connecting them to uh, under one preposition, you see, that would have been almost uh, considered blasphemy or or idolatry or something, raising the name of, of Jesus up to be level uh, and equal with God the Father. And uh, yet uh, Paul is very comfortable in doing that because of who he knows Jesus to be. And he's the Lord, Jesus Christ. And Christ, by the way, is not Jesus's last name. Christ is the Greek name or the Greek title for the Hebrew Messiah. So that uh, Jesus is the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the anointed one. And and Paul, uh, the apostle uh, here, uh, recognizes him as being the uh, Messiah of Israel. And uh, he is also Lord. That means he's boss. That means he's under control or in control. And uh, Paul is under his lordship. And this church is under the lordship of Christ. It continues on with grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul does it again. It wasn't an accident when he uses the preposition in and uses the two names side by side. Well, it's not an accident when he uses the preposition from and he uses the names side by side. Once again, almost identical in reference. And he's God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, that is where we get our grace. 
is from him. That's where we get our peace, is from him. We need to know that. And these these dear believers in Thessalonica uh, needed to know where their peace and their grace came from. And notice the grace comes first because you can't know God's peace unless, uh, first of all, you know his grace. I'm sure you've heard that before, but it's worth repeating because it's still true, even if it is a very familiar kind of observation. So in verse uh, three is actually the start of the body of the epistle. And uh, we're not really getting started too much into that, but I did at least wanted to uh, kick things off in this first episode by letting you know we ought, uh, is the way he starts there in verse three, ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren. And notice Paul continues to have this personal relationship. He puts in this brethren uh, label there in order to remind them right off the bat that we are a part of the same family. And this is a family relationship. And uh, Paul doesn't use the term apostle when he starts. He uses the term brethren in when he begins this body of the epistle to address them as fellow members of the same family with the same father and the same savior. So he he ought always to give thanks for you, brethren, as is only fitting. So it is a there's a certain propriety, a certain uh, 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 fittingness. Uh, this is this is not an obligation for Paul because he wants to thank God for these dear believers. In fact, that's what he did in First Thessalonians. Uh, Paul was very thankful for this congregation. He said in Second Thess- he said in First Thessalonians that he was very thankful for them for their. Uh, work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. And so again, he recognizes that he's thankful and this isn't an obligation. It's not like a duty to do this. Why? Because he's he feels like this is a responsibility to fulfill, and it's a natural one in this case. And because why? Because their faith is growing. It's not remaining the same. It isn't just merely saving faith. It is the saving faith that starts encompassing other parts of their character, other portions of their walk with God, and it is growing. Why is it growing? Because uh, they are experiencing more persecution than ever. And it's not getting less, it's getting more. And the love uh, of each one of you toward one another is grows gr- even greater. So their uh, attachment, their, their value, if you want to put that term in there, that's exactly what the uh, Greek word agape, love, is. It's that value that they begin to place in each other. Because when you have a common enemy, when you have someone out to destroy you, it does pull the believers together and they value the richness of their relationships uh, as believers and as following the Lord as a congregation. And so their value of each other is continuing to increase. Why? Because they are in the midst of persecutions and inflictions which they endure. This dear uh, congregation of believers that are very close to Paul and Paul's heart are now facing these things uh, with more intensity and more frequency than they did even at the beginning. And if you read back uh, in Acts at the beginning of this church, they faced it uh, at the very start. 
And uh, now it uh, hasn't gotten any less. It may have even gotten worse. That's what happens sometimes. As you begin to grow as a believer, sometimes the Christian life isn't easy. Do you know that? It, it, it doesn't mean that it's it's uh, difficult in the sense that, that Jesus has abandoned you, but it does mean that the, the stuff around you begins to uh, play out and it, it doesn't get better. Sometimes it gets worse. And sometimes we have to stick to the very things that Jesus has called us to, and that is to him. It, we are now in him. We don't depend upon our relationships in the community, so to speak, or in the city or in the culture to bolster our self-image. We come and rest upon the Lord Jesus, and that is the work of saving faith. It's the work of grace in our life to to understand our loyalty to Jesus is stronger than ever, and our value of fellow believers becomes stronger than ever because the the world and the the culture around us are persecuting us. They're putting us down. They are ridiculing us because of our faith, and we are stronger for it as we resist and as we stand firm in Him. Father, thank you for these moments together in your word. May they be an encouragement to us, regardless of our circumstances, because we look to you and not our circumstances for our grace and for our peace. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendal Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.